Hello, and welcome back to the Have We Made It Yet podcast. It's the podcast where two creatives just starting their journey into comedy and acting in the creative space uh, talk about the process of making it uh, as we try to make it uh, from the very beginning. I am the comedian portion of this podcast, uh, Josh Young. And I am Lucas Ng, the actor portion of this podcast. Yes, he is. And you know what? At the top of our podcast, we usually like to ask each other uh, the question of the podcast. Have you made it yet? So, Lucas, have you made it yet? You know what, man? You know what? I, I feel closer and closer, not because of any big milestones that I've hit, but because I had a mental shift. Mm. Um, if I may indulge you, Josh. Indulge. I, yeah, I had a pretty big audition. It was for a, um, I think it was like a Hallmark Lifetime film and everything like that. Nice. Uh, pretty sizable role. And when I got my sides, I was like setting them like mad because it was a pretty big casting director that cast, you know, pretty big show. So I went on Prester. So I got some friends of the podcast to help me. I, I'm going to shout out uh, Donald Hang and uh, Jamie Calica. I messaged them, went on some great calls with them, and we swapped ideas and, and how to process the script through and through. Um, I finally sent in my tapes after getting their notes to my agent. And he said, amazing work. This might be your best audition tape that you've ever sent. And you know what? Yes, because I feel more uh, grateful for that compliment just because I put in the work. I put in that process. I reached out for help and I incorporated notes. You know what? However, this plays out, whether I get the part or not, I'm going to count this as a win just because to 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 you know car- categorize your your own craft as either a a yes or a no in terms of booking the part you can't think like that anymore no the whole process was what made me to be a better person better actor better better creative so dude i put in the work and that's a win in itself so haven't made it yet but closer yo that's great to hear that, that that's actually <clears throat> that's really good to hear and especially to know that it's like you put in the work, you feel like what you did was was up quality. And then also to get that uh, acknowledgement mm-hmm. that like, yeah, what you thought was correct. That's that's great, man. I'm really happy for you. Ooh, excited to see maybe <laughs> what next Christmas you'll be in like a maybe a Hallmark uh, Hallmark movie. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, fingers crossed and all that stuff, but it's out in the universe. Mm. Mr. Josh Young. Yes. Have you made it yet? I have not made it yet, but <clears throat> yesterday I did a, a show in uh, in Vancouver, and uh, it was my first time doing a show in a few months in Vancouver as well, and uh, I was doing about 10 minutes, uh, and it was like half of it was going to be new material, so I was nice. going to go with like a lot of new material. I've, I changed up some of my other jokes as well, and uh, I was going in with some more kind of a little unsure a little bit but i was like i kind of just wanted to get these jokes out there so i can get some feedback and, and work with it mm-hmm. uh, so i went went, went in kind of like a little bit more open-minded uh about the experience and then when i was there though i found out i was put last mm-hmm. uh, i had 10 minutes to do so i was like almost a um <clears throat> it wasn't that long of a show but i was essentially almost like the de facto headliner so there was some kind of pressure there it was like you know you got to end off the show well um Mm -hmm. so i was kind of like a little nervous going up and then when i actually went up 
uh, it went so much better than I thought. Like nice. I, when I was up there, I managed to, because of 10 minutes, I think I slowed down like, and I was able to be more comfortable in the timing and the pace of that set mm-hmm. that like all of my new stuff went well, uh, it hit. And then the overall set from beginning to end. Yeah. It, it turned out much better than I thought. And it ended up like really killing, uh, killing it in the show uh, to the point where like the producer after the show was like, Hey, it was a great set. You, uh, we're doing another show in a couple of weeks. Do you want to come back and stuff like that? And like, maybe, maybe I'll try like hosting that show. And that, <laughs> I've never done that before. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I'm looking forward to potentially doing that. Uh, but yeah, I think it was a bit of a turnaround for me as well uh, in that set, because I think that was the first one I felt oddly very comfortable on stage with the mm-hmm. time and being able to feel more comfortable. And uh yeah, knowing that like about another four or five minutes of like ideas went over well, mm-hmm. like going into the new year, I feel like I can definitely pull out a 10, no problem, maybe try to do 15. So it's all, like you said, it's process. It's all about progress, you know, step by step. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, excited about that. Congrats, but, bro. Thank you. Thank you. But you know what? Enough about me. Let's get into today's guest which i'm very excited about because uh i don't think we've had his you know his background on the podcast before and and we like to provide some variety for our podcast because we have a lot of actors actresses uh comedians musicians uh but we also want to try and like bring in different perspectives different experiences as well so i'm very Mm -hmm. excited to say that our guest today uh, who we both kind of have a connection with through a mutual friend. Uh, he has been uh, a creative director for the last two years at the David Zwerner, Zwerner <laughs> Galleries, uh, which, are, which have like three spaces in New York, uh, a space in like London, Hong Kong, um, and Paris. So kind of like a global gallery. Uh, he's been creative director there for the last two years and previously was actually the, I'm going to make sure I get this right, senior global art director of Uniqlo. <clears throat> so big brand, uh, kind of like a lot of kind of influence there. So very interested in, in hearing his perspective there. Uh, but yeah, we have basically our guest is pretty in there with the art community in New York and probably also like kind of the global art community as well. So we're very excited to welcome Mr. Matthew Tsang to the podcast. Hey guys. Hello. Thanks, hello. For, the, thanks for the wonderful introduction. No worries. Definitely. We're, we're really excited to, to have you on and uh, kind of pick your, pick your mind about the, the art world and your experiences as, as a creative director. But of course, you know, We wouldn't be doing our podcast justice if we didn't ask you that big question off the top. Mr. Matthew Tang, have you made it yet? Um, That's uh, that is an interesting question. I feel like I feel like maybe as a creative, it never feels like you've made it, even if, you know, a younger version of yourself would see yourself as you are now and would be like, oh, yeah, I've made it at that point. Um, but then when you get there, you feel like you don't, you don't feel that. So I don't even know what that feeling means of making it. Right. I suspect I might never feel 
like, you know, I might never know what that feeling is. I mean, I, I know, you know, some senior executive creative directors at like mega, mega firms, whether it's in Silicon Valley or within the uh, cultural sector and fashion world or whatever, who still don't feel like they've made it, but, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to any outsider looking in, they evidently look like they've made it. So I just think that that's something that as a creative, you're just constantly um, challenged by, or you're looking for challenges. And if there's a challenge that you haven't really done yet, then you don't feel like you, you fully kind of experienced everything. In a, essentially, that's a long way of saying no. <laughs> it's, yeah, no, it's, it's kind of like, I feel like we've been doing this podcast for like almost potentially like two years now. And <clears throat> initially we, we went in with the question of like figuring out, like maybe we'll get a clearer idea of what that means. You know, of other creatives, like we want to make it, we want to try making it. But I feel like once we, the more we people we've talked to more different fields that we're getting experience from is like, it's getting less and less clear what that, what that really means. Um, I feel like what happens though sometimes is when we all start getting into our creative fields is like that's when we kind of have this idealized version of what making it is and that might be what the clearest image could be and then it just gets a little bit more muddied the more ex you experience act the actual process um sure yeah going back then like do you remember when you first started like when you first got inspired to get into art and design like do you remember what making it would have meant to you back then I think making it would have just meant being able to live, as, you know, semi, be able to support myself financially while mm -hmm. doing something that is creative and something that I'm passionate or interested in. Mm -hmm. um, again, those are things that are super abstract and what supporting yourself financially means or what living comfortably means. Um, it, it's constantly scaling upwards, you know, particularly mm -hmm. when you move from experience to experience and, and grow older and your life goals change. But that's, that's when I started off. That's what I, that's what I uh, probably thought making mm -hmm. it would mean. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and I feel like, especially in art and design, it, it's just feels like it's somehow a little bit more subjective and, and a little harder to pinpoint down than like, say music or or maybe even like comedy or television and film i'm wondering then when uh because you went to the the prestigious rhode island uh, school of design i'm wondering going into that school um like were you kind of going in with a specific uh idea of what you wanted to get out of the school experience what you would learn or were you kind of like open to what like opening your mind to what the possibilities could be for this direction? Um, I think, so I went to the graduate program there mm -hmm. and split my time between uh, RISD, which is, you know, shorthand for Rhode Island School yes. of Design and Brown, Brown University. Mm -hmm. um, I went in having an idea of what the design, graphic design program uh, mm -hmm. would be like, but I think that it was quickly flipped on its head mm, right. uh, when I went in there after like um, after the first year it was it was an interesting 
very challenging but interesting kind of experience, um, which then kind of changed what my ideas of design could be. Uh, I don't know if it like eliminated my previous ideas, but I think I, it, it kind of fleshed them out or evolved it um, further in, in ways that I could never have um, imagined uh, an education would. So, so yeah, that, mm. yeah, that's kind of, that was my experience there. Yeah. Like I did want to also ask because like RISD, their alumni is huge. Like they had everyone from like Seth MacFarlane to Gus Van Zandt, to even like David Byrne and everything like that. Yep. Um, how do you think the RISD, how do you think the graduate program at RISD like really informs your work to this day? Well, I think that with every good school, I mean, like you, you, see this with alumni from schools like Rodan School of Design or Yale School of Art um, and, and various other ones, uh, various other institutions. And that is, uh, it really kind of breaks down your idea of what an end product is. And it makes you kind of really focus on the act of making or the process of making. Um, I think a lot of people, when they kind of come into come into art school, um, whether it's undergrad or grad program, they have an idea of what they want to make. They have an idea of what they're interested in. Um, and generally speaking, especially in the first year, you see this very often with projects, um, whether it's architecture, design, painting, or film, or, or whatever, whichever um, kind of sector you're you're studying within um you generally try and you generally have an idea of something that you want to make in your head mm -hmm. and then you kind of try and make it but generally speaking like the idea in your head is always superior at, to to what yes. you're kind of looking at um and you always try and bridge that gap between like why is this thing that I'm creating so much? Can, can I, can I swear in this? Oh, yeah. okay. Absolutely. Why, Absolutely. why is it so much shittier than, than what I, what I have in my head? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Particularly if you're in like a good, a particularly kind of prestigious school, uh, perhaps you come in with like a very high level of taste in terms of knowing who the design icons are interesting, kind of like heroes that you want to, um, kind of emulate are, uh, and, and that's even worse because the more you know, the more difficult it is for you to realize what's, what's, what you envision the end product to be. And I think that what was the most valuable part of school is it completely beat that out of you um, wow. because that is an absolute like, no, you can't do that. Like they'll just, when you work like that, which everyone does in the beginning, mm -hmm. they will just be like, this project is garbage because it's not, you're not learning anything. You're just kind of trying to make something that you've already envisioned from the start without actually being interested in something, breaking down what you're interested in, yeah. and then using these projects as ways um, of examining what you're interested in. And kind of building a practice around that. And I mean, I think that this, whether you're working within a kind of a commercial 
art practice, which would be like design, industrial design, architecture, illustration, whatever, uh, or you're working within a contemporary fine art um, way of working, which could be painting, sculpture, or whatever. I, I, I think that both, um, both, both fields. I think this applies to both fields. This way of thinking, it, it leads to the most kind of original um, and interesting work. Uh, original, maybe I, I, I don't want I, the word authentic and original is such a tough word because it's such a loaded word. But what I will say is that it it brings out the most honest work when you are when you are um, when you work in such a way because then you're focused on exploring something that truly fascinates you and questioning that yeah. constantly. Matthew, that, that, that was beautiful just because, yes, like in terms of our own creative pro processes, we always, like I look up to say Daniel Day-Lewis, amazing actor and everything like that. But I know that if I were to copy him or at least don't bring my own truth into it, it would just be a poor parody of whatever that he brings to his own acting game there. Yeah. And, and I find that so powerful. Even if you come up with an original concept, whatever you have it, and you try to replicate whatever's in your head, it becomes like a poor parody. It's, it, it will not be whatever is truly in your head. And in terms of honesty and creating the work, it really just comes out of what you had just said. It comes out of the, the progress, the progression of it, as opposed to the final end product then. That, that was beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I would say one, I'd add one additional thing, and it's that uh, one, the most valuable thing school taught me is never be precious with your work, never be precious with your ideas, always yes. be willing to, don't be stubborn and try and be like, ah, this idea isn't working, but I'm going to force it to work. Like allow yourself to be changed by, by those ideas. And if something doesn't work, that is a valuable learning process to to maybe evolve whatever you're working on um, in a different route, which, you know, it's never a waste of time because in order to get to that new route, you had to try something and for that not to work to discover something else. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think <clears throat> what you, what you said like rings true with a lot of different creative processes. Um, and like, I think even hearing from a variety of different guests from different backgrounds, like we always also get that sense where it's like, yeah, don't be too precious. It, the more you try to hide or like, you know, keep your ideas to yourself and like not really like expand or, or rethink them or like try to uh, adapt them, uh, the more you get stuck and, and you just can't really uh, learn from them, learn from the mistakes and, and keep growing from there. In that sense as well, like, of course, like trying to find that authentic self or authentic style is definitely almost like can be a lifelong process. And then during that time as well, though, <clears throat> especially for like new artists trying to get into that sphere and figuring that out, it's like you, what you may think is authentic and like your style may not be like if we put it into like real world or like trying to uh, uh, make enough to support yourself is like it may not be something that can uh put food on the table at that time it's like in that spectrum then like what advice would you give artists that are trying to uh, find that authentic self but then also try to make it so that they can at least 
keep focusing on that authenticity as opposed to being uh, pulled away to like more commercial or like, you know, monetary influences? I mean, I don't, I, I, I think when I started my career, I was very um, maybe against kind of being pulled into that monetary kind of direction. Mm. Um, actually, like right out of school, um, I was offered two jobs. One was working with a new team, which is now like a huge team at Google, which is um, mm. Google's creative lab. They were developing um, material design, which is one of their major kind of design divisions. Mm. Um, and But that was like when it started, but the opportunity to join that versus um, moving to London and working at a tiny boutique design studio, but um, which I had immense respect for. And I thought was, you know, and, and still is, still feel is true. One of the best design studios in the world um, for like next to no money. Fortunately, you know, I had the, um, and, and I think, I think this is always, sorry, this is a tough kind of idea to articulate, but what I'm, I think I'm trying to say is it's always important to be honest with yourself and always important to be honest when giving advice about, um, about the context in which you were able to make certain decisions. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about, I went to an extremely expensive school. Brown and RISD are both hyper expensive, you know, private um, colleges in the US. Um, and as an international student from Canada, um, that is an oh, immense yeah. amount of money. Um, I was lucky enough to have very supportive parents who were able to support me through that without needing to take on student debt. Um, and as a result, I had the kind of financial freedom to make a decision that I don't think a lot of creatives can. Um, and I think that that needs to be uh, needs to be addressed because I can easily just say, yeah, you know, you should always take the job that does like that you're passionate about um, that regardless of, of whether or not it pays because I did that. And, and that was so fruitful and amazing of an experience for me. But I think as I, as I grew older, I realized uh, or grew older in my career, I realized that that's like such a short sighted and arguably irresponsible way of thinking of things, because mm-hmm. I think it's very important to just be honest about where you are in life and kind of, what your needs are. So for example, if you are, um, if you have a lot of student debt, it is okay, I think, in my opinion, to take, to take, um, to take a job that is, you know, very good, um, that will treat that, that you'll, that'll support you financially. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I do, what I will say is that you should always, you should always see both as kind of equal, equal but different um, ways of approaching the creative field. I think that there's value in both. I think that there's immense creativity that you can find in major brands like Google, Apple, Nike, you know, some of the most inspirational advertising and influential advertising and narratives come out from these companies, which, you know, have their issues, but at the same time also have the largest audience reach and have some of the best creative talent out there. And that is interesting. There's interesting work to be done there. 
as much as there's a lot of interesting work to be done um, in a much more independent kind of design practice, if mm-hmm. you want it to work that way. Or if you are an artist, you know, um, it's okay to like, I know a ton of, um, I, I do know a ton of artists in New York who support themselves, uh, let's say through creative, creative coding. So they're like creative technologists um, okay. on, on a freelance basis. They'll work in, um, they'll work with companies and they'll work with studios um, to you know, develop digital experiences on a more commercial scale, uh, which supports their personal art practice and their personal kind of interest in creating, creating things on the side. You know, there's so much opportunity now in, I think, for particularly for younger creatives coming out um, to not be tied down to a specific kind of um, full-time job there's value there Uh, but for the option to kind of straddle both lines like when you need when you need uh, when you need to pay those bills take take some take some commercial clients take some jobs there's no shame in that it's all good and then just don't lose sight of the work Mm -hmm. that you're really passionate about that you want to make I think it's just really about that just not losing sight of what your goals are Right. I think that like, it's totally cool if your goal is to just work in, you know, work your way up as a creative, um, as a product product designer in tech, that's totally chill. Um, Much like it's just as interesting of an endeavor um, as, you know, uh, working as an independent, developing your own independent kind of design practice and working purely with, um, artists and cultural institutions. That's fine too. Yeah. Like they're all, yeah. Cool. I mean, like it, I think what's interesting is like now we just naturally kind of got into that <clears throat> blending of art and technology. I do want to ask you because, you know, artists, like we, we just went through having that, that push and pull of like monetary versus authentic with kind of like the changes now in like art and technology. I did want to get your perspective on NFTs because that's like now a completely new type of style of um, kind of patronage kind of mm-hmm. where, where or artists now are able to create and mint their own NFTs and actually get some of that monetary um, uh, payment for their work in a way that hasn't been done before. And it's still a very burgeoning new technology. I was wondering, like, what is your perspective on NFTs and, and kind of the art space right now? Uh, I think NFTs are like a very interesting, I think they're a very interesting kind of um, um, articulation of the art world. I actually have, um, I have some friends of mine who are very heavy in that space and I've actually mm. done very well for themselves over the past year, just like nice. uh, operating in that, in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's fantastic. I think what is interesting about NFTs um, is less maybe the form that it is right now. I think it is so early and so young yeah. in its development. But I think what is interesting about it is that it, it kind of creates a new way of looking at art as a platform, as a singular platform, mm. because NFTs themselves are 
they are platforms. They are individual platforms uh, within which you can build a community around that artwork, right. which is very interesting, right? That's like flipping the art world um, upside down because in the current in the current space in 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 the art world, you have contemporary art galleries. Like for example, you have like major blue chip galleries like David Zwerner, Pace, Kigosian, Hauser and Wirth, where um, they have a roster of, they represent a roster of artists, mm -hmm. right? And the artists kind of thrive on this gallery model because the gallery yeah. exists to help them um, sell their work, get their work in institutions, um, you know, put like help those artists grow. But in many ways, the platform is then the gallery and yeah. the artist is then part of the, the platform. The artist is a part of this larger platform, which is a gallery, right? Um, whereas now that that's, that's completely shifted with NFTs where the artists are creating their own platforms with their work. And that's where communities are emerging around mm. them, uh, which is very interesting because in, in many ways it's like, it harkens back to the pre-gallery model where you had artists, you had their patrons and like the work that they created meant something to those patrons and that community. And it was much more of a communal space. Um, it was much, much more part of like the public forum where it's now it's, it's with commercial art galleries. I mean, they absolutely have their place. Um, it's just it's just a different model. So there are two different yeah. contexts, which I find which I find interesting. I don't think necessarily one is because I do think that there is a lot of value in commercial art, uh, contemporary art galleries, um, in that they bring to the artists. Uh, I just I just think it's like a different model of working, and I think that both can kind of coexist, which is cool. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree as well. And just it's so <clears throat> in, interesting to see where it's the space will take off. And like even just because it's only been a year, it's hard to yeah. imagine really the crypto space pre-January of this year was not in the mainstream yet. It just mm -hmm. because of Bitcoin suddenly hitting all time highs. Now everybody's now starting to pay attention to all these new these new um, engines of kind of like creativity and innovation. Um looking at kind of uh as your position as like a creative director in a commercial uh art gallery and like how the world has been changing so much especially with covid um and everything right now i'm wondering with that model have you seen kind of shifts in the art space with kind of pandemic maybe pandemic inspired art starting to come into that space as well because you usually i think in my opinion um art reflects a lot of art reflects life. And then in periods of great turmoil, sometimes you get some of the greatest expressions of art. I'm wondering if you're seeing that as a creative director now um, in like new artists or current artists trying to tackle what we've all been experiencing in the last few years. Um, I think that, I think that it will definitely be part, it is definitely part of the dialogue. I think it's like, I, I think that generally speaking, at least with the artists that um, that are represented by David Swerner or even artists that I'm, I'm interested in personally, um, 
it, it's they tend to stay away too much from like overly direct kind of re-representation mm. of affairs that are going on in the world. I actually would argue that, um, you know, the BLM movement was more impactful on the art world than COVID is, right. um, okay. at least in terms of fine art. Um, I will say that maybe the place where COVID had the most impact on in my opinion, is more ideas in filmmaking um, mm, and in right. video, right? In film, video, um, mediums like that or photography. I think that that's where maybe that it, it challenged people who wanted to create um, through that medium to, to explore different venues. I, I do remember there was that one, you know, that director, Bill Burnham, yes. um, who did yeah. that amazing kind of yeah. bizarro, like self one man show mm. thing in the pandemic. That was like really fantastic. And I love that. Um, but I do think, I do think the one thing that COVID has had a lasting effect on in the contemporary art world is in, in, at least in the artists themselves is probably um, this idea of reflection and the idea that it has given them uh time and space to really explore new ideas or explore things that they want to, um, that, that maybe wouldn't have been possible if they didn't have that time of isolation. Right. Um, and that time of like great tension and anguish and all, all of that stuff. Um, so I, I think that every artist would take that and channel that in their own, in their own different way. Yeah. Mm, awesome. Nice. Yeah, no, it's, um, <clears throat> that's, those are some great points about like kind of where, where the art world is, is right now. And I feel like, like, usually we also kind of ask at this point, because we're getting close to the end of the podcast, you know, for our guests is like, what is kind of like making it mean to you now? But I feel like just getting, talking to you, like, that seems like not the right question to ask. So I think what I'll ask is, you know, what is something in the next year that you're looking for forward to in terms of your work right now? Uh, I think that actually the thing I'm looking most forward to is seeing how, and, and, and this, this is to your previous question, it's not so much the artists, mm. but seeing how the art world um, and maybe the gallery world right. kind of shift in new ways, um, in new ways where, you know, new ideas of what art is and the transparency around the creation of art, the transparency around the selling of art, uh, the yeah. transparency around like economic dispar disparity, which is, you know, in the art world, it's very visible um, and how, due to the pandemic, a lot of young galleries had to shut down just mm. because they didn't have the means to really sell art anymore because it's like no one was traveling. Yeah. No one was moving around um, for the past year, a good chunk of the past year and a half to two years. Um, so I would say that I'm excited to see how the gallery world shifts to respond to the new kind of conditions uh, that we all are faced with uh, new economic conditions 
new political and social conditions and cultural conditions. I think that that's, that's what I'm excited about. Nice. Cool. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's some great uh, stuff and, and it's, it's good to keep on our minds as well to see where, where the art world takes uh, the next little bit um, and, and adapts to it and, and sees where it happens there. Well, thank you so much, Matthew, for, for coming onto the podcast. We always like to finish our podcast with a little, you know, kind of like a palate cleanser game at the end. You know, we were talking about uh, push and pull monetary, you know, authenticity. Let's just go down to the base level uh, and, and, <laughs> and see what your mind tells us when it gets some word prompts. So, Okay. Uh, I'll have 10 words. Lucas will have 10 words. Uh, and then as we go into our 10 words, <clears throat> just say the first word, idea, or like, you know, thought or image that comes to mind with each of these word prompts. Uh, so Lucas, you want to go first? Yeah, definitely. All right, Matt, you feel good? You feel loose? Yeah, I took my hat off, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm letting loose. I'm hat good. was all oh business. God. Hat was all business. Awesome. Okay. First word of 10. Essence. Clothing. Nice. Fear of God. Brand. Nice. Uh, Virgil. Louis Vuitton. Nice. Uh, Rhode Island. Providence. Nice. Lo-fi. Music. Nice. Cause. Shit, I fucked up. I didn't say the first word. That <laughs> I dislike. Oh, like, uh, interesting. Uh, uh, culture. Exciting. Home. Nostalgia. All right. And the last word, Matthew. I fucked up again. I didn't say the first <laughs> thing. That. I was just going to say me. Or like saying my yep. last name. Cool. <laughs> love it. Love it. All right, Josh, you ready? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's go with Josh's 10 words, which um, is always the same 10 words throughout each series. So let's, let's give it a try. All right, Matthew, clear your mind, empty into an empty space. Your first word is childhood. Fond. Banana. Slip. Sun. Burn. Solitude. Peaceful. Goal. Difficult. River. Swim. Circle. Square. Kumquat. Confusion. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Kumquat's a fruit. And it also oh. sounds funny. Yeah, I always like that word. Uh, next word. Winning. I, nothing comes to mind, actually. Whoa. It's weird. Wow. Winning, I, it, it's, it's weird. Like nothing just comes to mind. Wow, Maybe that, that was, just means like I'm not interested. <laughs> that was the most Zen answer I think we've ever gotten. We haven't, I don't think we've ever gotten like nothing before. Whoa. 
that was that was uh that was deep mm-hmm. and uh your last word is finished you know what nothing also comes to mind no i'm i'm serious this is so crazy both winning uh-huh. and 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 finished like nothing came to mind but if i had to think about a word mm. that would describe finished is complacent mm. okay yeah I mean, like, hey, this podcast, have we made it yet? The process of making it is like it, it feels like maybe it there is a never ending thought to that to that question. There is never an ending goalpost. But then, you know, when you feel like there is an ending, then you also feel complacent and you just feel you get as a creative, you can't really stop. And I feel like that's what we've learned a lot throughout our podcast. I feel like through this conversation as well. You know, <clears throat> that's the sense I get as well from your from your experience. And you know what? Thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on to the podcast, uh, giving us your perspective. And uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you guys for having me here. Great. My great. Is there um, is there anything? Um, what are what are your handles for for guests if they want to uh, take a look at like your work? I know you have Instagram. Oh, yeah. I just really I just really use Instagram. I don't really put my work up much at all but it's uh at d-r-o-o-g-i-s-t uh yeah. great uh lucas what are your handles uh everyone can find me across social media i'm also like matthew there only on instagram so lucas john ing ing again it's only two letters n and g yeah josh where we'll find you uh you can find me at josh yang comedy across all social media Again, Instagram, probably the biggest one, uh, Facebook page as well. Um, but you can also listen to the Sleep with Josh podcast. It's a podcast where I read genuinely boring material in my voice. So like laws, uh, the dictionary, I've counted cheap for an hour. So if you want to listen to that to help you fall asleep, you can listen to the Sleep with Josh podcast. And uh, be, of course, if you like what you see, like what you hear, uh, follow our podcast, the Have We Made It Yet podcast at HWMIY podcast. And uh, yeah, like, subscribe uh, to the channel. Every little little bit helps. And uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you again, Matt, uh, for yeah, joining no problem. us. Thank and you. I'm probably going to sleep to your podcast tonight. Nice. Nice. That It's there for it. It's on Spotify. It's across everything. Give it a, give it a listen. Exactly what I was looking for. Perfect. Perfect. Kismet. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll, list, we'll see you guys in a few weeks. Bye. Peace. Bye.